Hey, welcome back to Basically an Expert. This week we're talking to McKay Proctor, the one and only, about watches. We're talking Rolexes. We're talking rappers. We're talking revenge. <laughs> Looking at you, Shakira. <laughs> it's a long one, so we're just going to get into it. Okay. Hey, Vic. Hi again, I should say. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, it's good to be back. Actually, I was just talking about this with Anna. How do we know each other <laughs> for the people who don't know us? Yeah, so Vic and I didn't know each other from a hole in the ground until, <laughs> um, I guess it would technically be my junior year of college. We did a incredibly intensive biking adventure together. <laughs> what um, a way to why, say That's it. my dog. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, a lot of the people that listen to this already know what T4K is. So you guys can just have your fingers over that fast forward button here, but, yeah. um, it's a uh, Texas 4,000 for cancer. It's the largest student run bike ride or longest student run bike ride in, uh, the world. And, yep. uh, it raises funds and awareness, um, and spreads knowledge about, uh, cancer and cancer prevention services. So, um, that's about the size of it. We met through that. We were, uh, on the same route, had affinity for together for, um, jumping in bodies of water and yeah, drinking brewskis. And yeah. that's all it really <laughs> takes to be friends with me, man. <laughs> Likewise. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. We went from Texas to Alaska. If you, yes. if you don't know it, that's the big, uh, <laughs> the headline usually, <laughs> Yeah, but it was good stuff. But today we're here to talk about watches and I'm really excited about it because McKay over here is of course <laughs> basically an aficionado and I don't wear a watch so <laughs> shame on you Vic so here we are learning time how are you basically an expert anyway so yeah I guess I attacked it with the same kind of vigor that I do everything and uh just like most of my hobbies it's infinitely regressive like there's information in all directions and you could learn all of it if you really wanted to but yeah during the pandemic I basically was like starved for YouTube content and there is a fairly healthy watch YouTube content rabbit hole that I just went down and like I don't know I find the idea of these like consistent accessories you know like yeah I think that people think that their shoes are really expressive but they probably are most people own more pairs of shoes than they do watches, at least, you know, if the if the hobby is in a healthy amount of check, which sure, sure. Uh, I'm probably about even, but that's beside the point. So basically, oh my gosh. I, look, I, I just don't have that many pairs of shoes, I think. Oh, okay, the, okay. The, As someone with a lot of shoes, I was like, that's insane. Yeah, <laughs> well, look, I think, I think you know, um, I guess it depends on who you ask, how you feel about that as a statement, but sure, sure. Um, so I started just like collecting watches as one does. And, and I think that, you know, one thing that I want to get out there really early in this is that watch collecting does not necessarily have to be a high dollar hobby. Like you could collect entirely 15 to $20 Casios and have as fulfilling an experience as if you were collecting million dollar Richard Mills. Okay. Like it's, it's really just a question of like your value function and like, yeah, if you get into the hobby deep enough, like you're going to be lusting after all of these like hyper expensive pieces that are like super cool. But like, 
if I owned one of those, how much would my life actually change? Not that much, you know? Right. It, and it's not quite like car collecting where people are going to see a vintage, like an old Ferrari Enzo or like one of the ones from the 60s be like, dang, that guy's cool. It's like yeah. nobody ever asks you about watches, you know? I mean, it, half the time it's covered up by like yeah, a sleeve exactly. or something. And I've had exactly one person notice a watch I was wearing and be like, is that the blah, blah, blah? And I was, I got no to be way. like, yeah, it is the blah, blah, blah. Wow. And that, that has happened one time in uh, going on four years of being into watch collecting. So I very clearly don't do this for anybody else but me. And I think that that's important, you know? <laughs> I like, think that's a good for a hobby. I think that's yeah. vital for a hobby. Absolutely. Well, and I think especially one that is so close at hand, you know, like, Quite literally, um, <laughs> intended. But um, if you have this item that you enjoy and is a part of your collection that you can wear every day, like right, uh, that is such a, and that's basically what I get out of the hobby is like I look down at my wrist and something makes me smile, and like that is basically the entirety of my collective philosophy at this point. I feel like that's very niche to have in a hobby, like unless it's like shoes. That's the only other one that I can really think of that like where you can actually wear. And I mean, I think people who collect shoes don't even wear them most of the time, but like right. you can actually wear your hobby and like enjoy it. Well, and and that's not, not everybody feels that. I mean, there's the phrase within the community of, of the safe queen, which is a watch that you never let see the light of day because it's too oh, valuable. I and see. I guess I, it's sort of farcical for me to comment on this kind of thing because yeah. like the cost of a watch that would sort of warrant being a safe queen, like- yeah. I, I'm never going to really ever have access to for a couple of reasons. And we'll probably get into that. Yeah. But um, to me, the joy is in the wearing of the thing, you know, like yeah. um, one of the the sort of major tensions in the hobby is between the idea that a watch is a luxury object and the idea that a watch is a tool. And to me, the best ones exist as both and like obviously people's definition of luxury especially on a global scale ranges wildly you know like totally um this is something that watch collecting in general really struggles with is that you get a lot of people who are just like deeply alienating and gatekeeping the hobby because they're like if you aren't just kind of rolex dickheads is sort of the long yeah. and short of it right like and and that that's not unique to rolex as a brand but like people who are like not interested in people's $20 Casios, which like objectively a $20 Casio is a sick watch. Okay. It's got more features than just about any watch available south of like, well, maybe any mechanical watch that exists, I guess is sort of the easiest way to express that. Right. Like, yeah. Well, and this uh, is something I didn't know that there's different kinds of watches. Cause when people are like, mm -hmm. Oh, I collect watches. I'm like, okay. How many Rolexes do you have? I guess let's start with, a history of watches and we can work our way up to Happy that work. idea of like different watch brands and like, you know, what, what tiers of watches mean and, and all that sort of thing. So sounds great. The first watches basically came with the advent of being able to semi-reliably manufacture springs. So most mechanical watches, almost all mechanical watches use a spring to store power in order to dispense that energy over the course of an amount of time that would reliably push the hands on a watch forward to tell the time okay okay and you know the first watches were largely invented in germany and they were luxury items like for royalty because they were incredibly delicate and very inaccurate and if you were actually trying to like understand what the time was based off of these devices, you would be kind of SOL. <laughs> okay. 
so most people in these times are getting their time from clock towers right and like we could go way way back on a history of timekeeping but i think we're gonna just let's start with that the idea of having a spring in this like uh they were like orb shaped back in the day a spring that would theoretically dispense a constant amount of force to give you the ability to tell the time beyond just listening for the bells of a clock tower okay so as i said those were incredibly inaccurate ways of telling the time and were not accessible to most folks so then the True pocket watch, which uh, all of this sort of I'm hand waving a lot of mechanical innovation that was required to like help dispense a constant amount of force from the springs and like have a little bit of shock resistance and all this stuff. But basically, the the modern pocket watch came into existence in roughly the early 1800s. Now, you know, that's a a little bit up in the air, too, because like what exactly defines a modern pocket watch? We're not going to get into that. okay? (laughs) but so. Along the the lines of the Industrial Revolution and also railroad travel created a lot of need for the ability to tell the time independent of a source that is, you know, sonically based, right? Like, you know, you think of all of these classic captains of industry, you know, having their pocket watch on a gold chain that they pull out of their pocket and check and they're like, ah, we're six widget units behind schedule, you know? Right. And the thing about trains is if they are not running on time, they crash into each other, okay? Sure. Like, (laughs) in no uncertain terms, like, if you are even, like, a couple of seconds off in um, some cases, you are creating large, deadly, expensive, destructive accidents that nobody wants to have happen, right? So, like, the railroads really started to depend heavily on timekeeping, and, like, that created a large industry for the creation of standardizable, reliable pocket watches, and that was a really big force in the advancement of the art form for a long time. So, you've got all these spring-powered pocket watches, and there had been, alongside this, some wristwatches, but they were largely luxury items that were used for like royalty like the first wristwatch was supposedly made for the queen of naples okay okay and those were also like not super rugged and they were not super accurate so like the pocket watch is the main watch of use for most working men who needed one at the time and then women might wear a wristwatch but it was less of a thing and i wonder then, why like what was the queen of naples doing Why'd she need to know that? I, th- I think she was just trying to get a good flex off. I think that's the Fair long short of it, dude. Like, Fair enough. She was, she was like, y'all y'all ain't got this, you know? We all like, have that. Um, and, and hey, you know, who could blame her? You who know, she was an icon. More power to her. Yeah, but so sort of hand wave a little bit more, like pocket watch technology continues to move along. And then in the early 1900s, in military settings specifically, Men started to wear pocket watches more often because in like a tactical setting, stopping, pulling out something from your pocket and looking down at it is like a really intensive thing, you know, like that's, that requires a lot of effort and time. Well, in hands. Yes. It it requires a hand that you may not have access to. Exactly. Yeah. And so the, especially the British military started to use wristwatches. Well, we fast forward to World War One, which you have all of these people trying to synchronize military exercises. And especially in World War One, you think about all of these people using heavier artillery, right? So like the creeping artillery barrage 
and people following behind it. Like if you mess up the timing of the artillery moving forward or, right. you know, the you start your charge a little bit too early, you're mincemeat, right? So like you yeah. don't want that. So all of this coalesces to create a push for more wristwatches in the military. Once you have something integrated into military fashion, usually this is the way this goes worldwide, it finds some kind of avenue into regular fashion. The, the two sort of like major poles that pull male dress at the very least in, in the West forward are the military and sports. <laughs> if that ain't the truth, yeah, that's no. definitely. And I, you know, that, that applies to all kinds of outfits, not just dudes who are wearing, you know, camo, <laughs> uh, camo or gym shorts to their, you know, baby's gender reveal or whatever. <laughs> so you end up with this modern push for wristwatches. Well, in this time, you see a lot of dudes with famous last names, you know, or, um, you know, Mr. Long Jeans, whose name I don't actually, I don't remember his first name, or like the company that eventually becomes Rolex be established. Is Cartier yes, so, one of those guys that was um, Actually, that's a really fun question. The Cartier family was asked to make what is considered the first watch for a pilot. So this, oh. um, this dude who was friends with, I forget which one of the Cartiers. It might have been uh, Louis, but I'm not positive. Didn't know there were more than one. Yes, there's a, there was a whole family. Um, and, and their internal politics are actually really interesting, but we're going to set that to the side. That'll be another Um, Patreon episode. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) I, uh, I actually got my mom a book about it that I'm going to kind of try and steal for Christmas. So, um, I'll know more about that as time goes by, but this guy's name was, uh, Andre Santos Dumont, uh, which is pretty sick. And he was like, hey, man, when I'm flying a plane, I want to know how fast I'm going. So like, and I can't pull out a pocket watch. So can you make me a watch that I can look down on my wrist? And, that's so uh, broy. I feel yeah. like that's like a very dude thing to say. Yeah, I don't know how fast I'm going. <laughs> well, yeah, but like, you know, in, in that is absolutely true. One, two. In aviation, like your rate of speed is very important to navigation, right? Right, right, and like, right. <laughs> yeah, I think this guy was like trying to pull off some transatlantic shit. I mean, I don't know. Like Fair. he was. I definitely you know, pictured I, him racing the guy next to him, but that makes way more sense thinking about so that it. Is, that is also an important part of the advancement of watch technology is you know, people trying to go fast and know exactly how fast they're going. So you're, you're definitely right that there is a bro impulse there, but in this specific situation, I think he was trying to like not crash into the side of a mountain. Love both of those. <laughs> yeah. So, and all of these watch companies are established that are trying to service what is this booming market. And I forget what the exact stat is. I looked it up today, but like by a couple of years after world war one, the ratio of wristwatch to pocket watch in the market was like 50 to one, right? Good so like mess. the pocket watch was the dinosaur from the start and the wristwatch was a, 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 a an asteroid. Okay. Um, that theme will be important as time goes on here. So, so watches just continue to get bigger and diversify in their use. And like, there's a bunch of technical advances, like the, you know, people start incorporating chronographs or inventing a watch that winds, winds itself on your wrist, which is referred to in the business as an automatic. Okay. All of those things sort of happen, but the most important advancement in watch technology for what we're going to talk about in the history of watches is the creation of the quartz watch. So mechanical watch, watchmaking is what we've been talking to up to this point. And like 
mechanical watchmaking is defined by using springs and gears and what have you to dispense the time through purely mechanical means. There's no electrical component to it, I guess is the other way to say it. Okay. What the quartz watch does is instead of using the power of a spring to even out the power that goes to the hands, which is defined entirely by the accuracy of the vibration of certain components within the watch. I'm trying to simplify this. Okay. <laughs> um, a quartz watch uses the oscillation of a piece of quartz, which because a piece of quartz has electricity running through it, vibrates at a an incredibly high and incredibly consistent rate what a quartz watch allows you to do is keep much more accurate time than a mechanical watch and also you can have a much more durable watch because there are fewer mechanical components that can be messed up i have a question absolutely okay. fire away i've seen so many watches where the face has quartz written on it yes does that mean it's a quartz watch or is quartz also a brand no, so quartz is a kind of watch. There, as far as I'm aware, there is not a brand of watches that is called quartz. So um, we've sort of like moved through about you know 50 years of watchmaking history here without like fully you know giving it its due. And there's a we'll get into those details later here. I guess is what I'm saying. If mechanical wristwatch making is a dinosaur, uh, quartz was damn near the asteroid. So because quartz was more accurate, more durable, and pretty quickly cheaper than yeah. a mechanical watch. The Swiss watching making world and basically everybody who made mechanical watches was like, well, what do we do now, right? And there was what was called in uh, watchmaking the quartz crisis, which was a period of time uh, in the 70s and 80s where basically it seemed like Swiss watchmaking specifically, but mechanical watchmaking in general was going to go extinct because what is the purpose of a tool that is not the best version of that tool? Fair. So to make a long story short, the industry pulled out of that nosedive by basically understanding that a watch that is mechanical and a watch that are quartz, though they are the same thing to almost everyone that exists, the status item nature of a mechanical watch, whether that is like status related to the name on the dial or whether that is like status from like your self-esteem for being like, I'm a mechanical watch person is the point of difference to a quartz watch, okay? So, like, basically, there is, if you are looking at a watch purely as a tool, mm -hmm. there is almost no reason for that tool not to be quartz, in, uh, basically from 1970-something from on. So the mechanical watchmaking world had to come to terms with that and eventually did by understanding that watches as status symbols and mechanical watchmaking is sort of this anachronism that is also really charming, that has marketing value to people, okay? You think of like G-Shocks, right? Like these very durable quartz watches created by Casio. Like if you are going to fight a fire, okay, you shouldn't wear a mechanical watch, you should wear a G-Shock, right? And like that bifurcation of pure purpose for mechanical timekeeping sort of liberated the the industry to sort of get weird with it in some ways and we can get into that <laughs> uh, a little bit deeper but like basically to once again make a long story short mechanical timekeeping figured out how to exist in accord with quartz timekeeping in a way that is allows both to currently exist well it feels very much like they just called quartz timekeeping basic and they were like everybody has a quartz watch 
you know, who doesn't have the classic mechanical watch. Like, I feel like this is very much like calling something classic or vintage where they're like, this is better because it was older and like, I don't know, has charm. Well, so um, that is true both in that that is basically what they did. And I, you know, as a watch enthusiast, that's something that I believe to be true, that like these finely machined mechanical objects are worth something that is like more than just the quality of their timekeeping, I guess. So like I own quartz watches, I own mechanical watches. I don't see them as necessarily in competition with each other or one is better than the other. The quartz ones emphatically keep better time, okay? And this is something that I think we can get into that as you sort of move up in watch keeping, your watch to be more expensive either has to be made of something more expensive, has to keep better time, or has to do more things. Okay. So, you know, I have, you know, watches that do different things. I have watches that keep better time. I have watches, I don't actually have watches that are made of anything other than steel and titanium so i don't want to i don't want to front like um, <laughs> full you know, on roll, running around with something that's gold but uh <laughs> yeah so the hobby now sort of exists as pure luxury but i mean that in terms of like if you're buying anything other than 20 dollars casio you're kind of making doing that as a choice and like yeah. that is a choice that says something about you i'm trying to think of something that would be the equivalent like for some reason woodwork came to mind first because mm-hmm. i feel like if somebody makes something with their hands like if you were to make me a chair it would not be like the most level chair that like necessarily cups my butt the best craftsmanship needed question Mm -hmm. mark I don't know that it's like a different kind of craftsmanship but obviously like it's I don't know that I have a great like direct translation to to this with anything else well and and another thing is I could make that watch or that sorry not that watch I could make that chair in my own style, like whatever right. a McKay Proctor style of chair is, that exactly. could be something that is uniquely valuable to you, right? Yeah. And as a design object, it could be appealing to you in that way. But if you wanted something that was pure utility, you know, like, um, I think this is, you're going to laugh, but you know, those chairs that uh, you see everywhere at like restaurants that are like metal and um, have the solid back and um sort of like a slight butt indentation yeah yeah i thought you were gonna those... go bean bag but yeah i do know what you're oh no, about. no 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 <laughs> those were those were invented by like a, an engineer for the navy basically and like oh, that's crazy people have stolen that design over and over to the point but like if you want one unit of chair you can have one unit of chair right <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like yeah. you know architects have lot for a long time thought of the chair as sort of this fun architectural problem where like, you know, I can, I can make people sit the way I want them to. And I guess this is a good time to get into the varieties of watches. Like the easiest thing to to illustrate is uh, a dress watch, right? So you think about a gold Cartier tank in this situation is not what I would be wearing to work on my car or to chop wood. It would be what I wear when I'm in a suit or if I'm, you know, some people believe that you shouldn't even wear a, a a watch with at black tie functions. I think those people are kind of taking themselves too seriously. But yeah, where are you um, going? Where yeah, else well, the, are you going? <laughs> yeah, okay. I I understand that angle of it, but like if I'm going to own like a a, a luxury timepiece or you know a a watch that is meant to be in a dress situation, I'm going to make sure that's elegant enough that it won't look out of out of place at least. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, it's really it's about what matters to me in that situation, and I want to have a watch. You know. Right. But anyway, no, I, I, I digress. Agree. 
I'm so, just one of those people. I'm, this might be a little tangential, but I'm just one of those people where I'm, I don't want to own something I can't use. Mm-hmm. So if Absolutely. I have a watch, I want to be able to wear it. And like, I'm not saying I'm going to wear it every day. Like you said, like maybe I'll only wear it once a year to a wedding, mm. but I'll be damned if I have a little safe queen. Yeah, absolutely. She's catching <laughs> on, folks. <laughs> well, and so like dress watches as a category are yeah. largely going to be more elegant in styling, more precious metal materials, generally speaking. And you're going to see those largely on leather bands as opposed to bracelets or oh, interesting. Um, or nylon straps. Is this for men or for both? Both. Oh, I would have thought that they would be like the kind of metal ones, but I guess that makes sense that. Well, so up to a point, like if you're, you know, there are stainless steel braceleted dress watches, but it is generally considered dressier to wear a dress watch on a leather band. Interesting. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Don't want to look stupid. (laughs) Well, no, no, no. And you wouldn't. Okay. Let's Let's keep it a buck. All right. Showing up using the wrong spoon with the wrong the wrong watch on right right to to everyone (laughs) but a certain afflicted few these rules don't matter right and i think that that's part of what's liberating about it yeah it feels very cotillion to move into a different kind of watches there are sports watches these are watches that are designed for and the sport doesn't have to be you know you wouldn't wear a watch while you're playing football but like you know racing watches or flight watches or Diving watches would be the examples. Uh, so smart watches, we can sort of set to the side. We can get to that okay. a little bit later. Those are a different thing. Okay. <laughs> and there are pilots watches, which uh, as the name would imply, are designed specifically for people who are flying planes. Now, what exactly that means can sort of vary from watch to watch, but um, we can do that too. And then you have some like watches that are kind of in between that casualness of a sports watch and the dressiness of a dress watch you know your uh, rolex oyster perpetual sort of exists in this that some people would call an everyday watch okay my favorite kind of watches generally are dive watches Um, not that i do any diving but they're usually really rugged and they have what is called an elapsed time bezel um which Mm. allows you to track because if you're diving you want to know how long you've been underwater right so right um i'll i'll show you on the watch i currently have on sick watch you turn the bezel yeah to the point where the minute hand is and then it tells you how many minutes it's been since Ah, you set it i always wondered why that turned Mm -hmm. so for those that can't see there's like a circle around the face of the watch that has like increments of 10, 20, 30, uh, I don't minutes. know, is it just, okay, minutes. And it, you can turn that part that goes around the face. And that's what McKay's talking about, lining up with the with the minute hand. I always wondered why that thing turned. I had no yeah, idea. I guess let's let's uh, divert from talking about uh, expense and, and yeah. uh, timekeeping. And let's just talk about the, the kinds of things that watches can do. So Yeah, because that watch uh, doesn't look like it should be going diving. Yes. But that's crazy that that dies. Yeah, well, so it's um, it's got 200 mil, uh, meters of water resistance. So okay. um, all I'm ever going to really need is like max two meters, right? <laughs> so like it's super duper overkill. Yeah, yeah. But those water ratings also tend to be an indication of just how watertight they are in general, more so than if you have a 30 meter water resistance watch, you should take it down to 30 meters, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Fair, fair, fair. But anyway, 
So watches have complications. Complications are things that are other than the two-handed time or the digital display time ah, that's that a term. the watch can do. Yes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So the simplest complication is a date. My watch right now, uh, I look down at it and it tells me that it is today, right? It, I don't want to timestamp this exactly, but like, uh, let's say you hypothetically, can. I was going to say, <laughs> let's say hypothetically it was January 8th. It would tell me that it's the 8th. Yeah. Now there are also watches that tell you the day and date. Now I'm less inclined to want to take up space on the dial by having like being reminded what day it is. Cause like, I usually kind of know that intuitively, but like knowing yeah. the date to me is a really significant thing. Like, I feel like I'd use that a lot. Right. Yeah, I usually know it's a Monday. I don't always know it's January 8th. Right. Another kind of complication, and it's probably the most common that people know of besides the day and date, is a chronograph, which a chronograph is a stopwatch that is included with a watch. So you'll see people who have watches that have all these little knobs on the, the right-handed side usually. So usually one of those is the crown, which is what you use to set the time. And right. then two of those, most often there are one pusher chronographs, but we're going to, that, that's more complication than we need. Two of those are going to be pushers, right? So they will start, stop, and reset your stopwatch. Okay. I never knew this. I feel like I probably, because I mean, I own a watch. I just never wear it. But right. I feel like it might have a stopwatch on it now. Well, it's certainly <laughs> worth knowing now, isn't it? <laughs> So the one of the most famous chronographs in the world and uh, generally one of the most famous watches was the first watch on the moon, the Omega Speedmaster Professional. Oh, cool. So it had a 12-hour chronograph function that would allow the astronauts to time like important stuff. I don't know. I'm not like, <laughs> astronaut um, shit. <laughs> famous, famously, that, that was Apollo 11. Famously on Apollo 13, they used their Omega Speedmaster professionals to time the periods where they turned the, the engines on to get around the moon so that they could come back to Earth. Wow, what? So okay. uh, in order to coordinate with Houston, astronauts need the ability to tell what time it is, right? So like right. astronauts need watches. Now, obviously in the modern day, like we have, all of these means of digital timekeeping that keep them synced up and like they're connected right. by various uh, broadcast equipment that will allow them to know the, the time all the time. But like in the, like back when you're, you know, in a fucking tin can, you know, strapped to a rocket trying to go to the moon, like all you've got is a watch. Right. So uh, a chronograph is a type of complication for a watch. Um, the watch I currently have on is what is called a GMT. Most watches will have a minute hand, second hand, hour hand. Mm -hmm. But a GMT will have a fourth hand that tells you the time of a separate time zone in a 24-hour scale. Oh. So the name comes from Greenwich Mean Time, which is the time on the Prime Meridian right. or at the uh, Royal Greenwich Observatory. The end-all be-all of time, some say. Well, well start all be all. <laughs> yeah, the, the start all be all of time. Let's <laughs> let's go with that. Yeah. Um, and I find this to be a really useful complication, especially like I follow tennis, I follow sumo. And if I want to know what time it is at the Australian Open, yeah, I can set the 24 hour hand to Melbourne Australian time. 
And I can be like, okay, well, Andy Murray's match or whatever starts at 9 p.m. Central, but it also is going to be at, you know, I, I don't know the exact version, but what whatever time it is in, <laughs> in Melbourne, I'm going to know that, right? Yeah. People who use watches for, let's say I lived in uh, New York and my girlfriend lived in LA and I want to yeah. know what time it is for her so that I know when to call her and I know when she's woken up, right? Like that would be an option, right? With a GMT watch. And very sweet. Wait, so uh, the so astronauts did this? Astronauts kept all of their time based off of Houston time, I believe. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I, thought, um, I thought they were doing both. Okay, that's my bad. The okay, GMT I'm with you family famously came to be as a format for um, pilots who okay. would need to basically ma manage a life that required them to you know hop across time zones all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. And then there are really complicated watches that we will sort of lump into a genre called calendar watches. So calendar watches have the ability to advance through the months without the assistance of you resetting the date. So if I had on a normal date complication watch and yeah. it clicked over from February 28th, uh, well, this is a leap year, so this is a bad example. Let's say, <laughs> um, so a, a good example, between December 31st yeah. and January 1st, because my watch has a 31-day date wheel, I did not have to reset it. I However, see. if you were in a 30-day month, Right. You would have the 31st come up as the date the next day after the 30th on your watch, which is incorrect because it should be the first. The first. So you have right. to reset the date. Okay. A calendar watch will allow you to skip that function. Okay. So there are annual calendars. There are perpetual calendars. All of these things yes. are very complicated watch complications that allow you to not have to reset your watch. Yeah, because you're really getting down there to the calculations. If you've got yes. to account for leap years and stuff, that's kind of yes. nuts. So, and perpetual calendars are sort of uh, speaking in broad strokes here, but perpetual calendars are usually going to be your most complex and therefore most expensive watches because they require, in order to get all of that functionality into a wristwatch, you have to do a lot of really fine yeah. motor design and work. Right. Oh, that's got to be crazy. Who makes those? So the most famous perpetual calendars in the world are made by Patek Philippe. I don't even know. See, this is how you know. <laughs> I feel like this is how I know that I was not raised wealthy. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. but you've heard. Honey, what is this, Brad? <laughs> like uh, rappers talk about Paddocks a lot, but they're right. usually not talking about the perpetual calendars. I don't want to say that they can't, but now that we've sort of gone through the the complication conversation we can work our way through sort of not the tiers necessarily but understand a little bit more about watch brands so it is usually thought among folks that the best watches in the world are swiss that is has been complicated by um, a couple of different things that have happened but largely you know reputationally if it, it, a swiss watch is like a french chef that's sort of what people associate the art form with yeah you said and, it and it felt right and that's that's sort of what they're trading on. So yeah. there is the holy trinity of Swiss watchmaking, which is Vacheron Constantin, which is the one that people have heard of the least. Yeah, um, <laughs> no idea. There's Rolex, which if you ask anyone on the street to name a watch brand, they're naming Rolex. Yeah. 
and there is Paddock Philippe. Those three have interesting and different positionings within the market, but they, for this exercise, are largely the same. They make luxury timepieces that would cost most people multiple house payments. Okay. So, Damn. like, not the kind of thing that you buy on a whim. Then there are other, like, prestigious watchmaking companies that make luxury timepieces that you've never heard of. And, you know, sometimes that I've never heard of. Okay. Yeah. Like, it is a um, complex world of brand identity in the same way that like, you know, yes, they're, they're uh, in the car world or, you know, shoes would be a great example. Like, yes, Nike exists, right? And yeah. everybody sort of knows what a Nike shoe is, one unit of shoe. Right. But, you know, also if you're willing to seek it out, there is somebody who makes two pairs of shoes a year, one for them and one for you their customer right and they're these incredibly ornate and well-made shoes and yada yada like like that exists in the watch world too so um with all of this artisan crafts making you have all of these different levels of how specific your watches are so like a really famous example and some would say the most the finest and it's kind of hard to speak out these things in absolutes but the most reputationally high-level watchmaker in the world is a German company called Alonga and Sana, which is a they make very complex watches that are like have well-finished movements and like all of these bells and whistles. And one of their watches, if you can even get them, we're talking about a, a question of hundreds of thousands of dollars, not thousands of dollars. Um, I just I feel like this is a level of wealth I just can't even fathom. Right. So you've got all of that existing. I think that's a that's a good yeah. segue here. And then you have companies that have made and will continue to make mechanical and quartz time pizzas for everyday people. Okay. So the like Casios. Yes, the Casios, the G-Shocks, um, my favorite brand and the one that I kind of treat like my version of Rolex is Seiko, right? Like Seiko is a watch brand that has long been associated with a durable and dependable timepiece um, that are sort of like cool designs that aren't necessarily trying to be anything else. Like Seiko has a very unique design language that I really enjoy looking at. What I have on right now is a Seiko. I like it. Yeah. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. <laughs> and then from basically the $20 Casio or, you know, what have you, the Timex, at the, at the, I don't even want to use the word bottom, but it, at the most affordable end of the watch spectrum yeah. up through the, the million dollar Richard mill, you have got levels to this stuff. And it's basically an efficient market. Like any amount of money that you want to spend on a watch for a certain use case. I mean, not within reason, right? Like, you know, if you want a dive watch that costs $200, you can find that. If you want a dive watch that is better than that, that costs $300, you can find that, and like on up, basically. Yeah. So what makes those watches better than one another? Okay, that's yeah. an important question. Because uh, I always thought it was diamonds. Yes. Well, and diamonds are something that makes a watch more expensive than another, okay? Fair. If I owned a Seiko that was covered in, uh, you know, carrots and carrots of, of diamonds that would be worth more than, um, some Rolexes. Okay. That is a thing that is possible to have happen. And Seiko and Seiko brands have 
watches that are more expensive than some Rolexes, okay? So there's a couple of factors to take, in, take into account here. So the easiest way to make your watch be more expensive is make it out of gold or silver or platinum, okay? Okay. So like the Speedmaster Perpetually we were talking about, okay? The, yeah. Most of those exist in stainless steel. And the vast majority of watches that people wear are stainless steel or, you know, resin in the case of like a G-Shock. The stainless steel version of the Speedmaster Professional is going to set you back about $5,000. But there okay. is a gold version that will set you back 40 okay? So that's Ooh. like a quick okay. distinction, right? Yeah. Because like at that, at the point that you're wearing a pure gold watch, you have a, a gold brick on your wrist, right? Like that is a, a non-negligible chunk of gold that you are wearing. But like, if you want something that's gold plated, that's going to be less expensive. If you want something that's right. platinum, that's going to be more expensive than gold. Like all of those things have come into play. That's crazy because I, I guess the only like gold things I buy are jewelry and they're so, and like jewelry outside of watches. So like, I'm like thinking of like gold earrings, gold, like a gold necklace. And I'm like, that's expensive, but a gold watch. I've just never even thought about how much that would cost. But yeah, that sounds, that's insane. Well, but that, and it also, it makes sense. This is, this is intuitively, like I said, like what I thought, it seems like the most obvious way to like raise a price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, so that's another sort of question within the watch world is the extent to which you see a watch as a tool versus the extent to which you see a watch as a piece of jewelry, right? Yeah. Like, um, and that's that's something that you can only really define for yourself. You know, like it's it's not because there are people who might see a um, a gold watch as a tool. There are people who might see a stainless steel watch as a piece of jewelry, right? Like, right. there's no real way to come to a distinction about that. Yeah, but, I was purely thinking JC Penny definition. They sell it in the jewelry section, but right. I <laughs> but I totally understand the point you're making. Well, and and I think um it, it's a pretty unhealthy thing for a watch collector to do to like be worried about someone calling something on their wrist a piece of jewelry, right? Cuz like it is yeah. a piece of jewelry and it yeah. is a tool and it is a luxury item. It can be all of those things at once if you're willing yeah. to be secure about the damn thing. Yeah, if it, if it looks nice and it works really well, it can be two things. Right. So another way that a watch could be more expensive than another is it has a higher quality movement. Usually these things happen in tandem, but like if it is better finished, so like more attention was paid to the details and like the finishing on the case and like all of those things are nicer. That's another way for it to be more expensive. But generally a more expensive watch that has no difference in materials is going to have a nicer, more precise movement or is going to have a complication, right? Like those things that we discussed earlier, um, a watch that can tell you the time simply where you are versus a watch that can tell you the time in another time zone. It sort of makes sense that those two things cost different amounts. Right. So when you say movement, do you mean like the gears? Yes. Um, The movement versus... So there's a distinction in the watch world between the case of a watch, which is the exterior that you see, and then the movement, which is the internal components. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So this is this would be a lot harder to like look at somebody's watch unless you know something about watches and brands right. and stuff to be like, okay, that one is definitely more expensive. Right, which is okay. uh, sort of gets us back to the brand conversation, right? So like a Rolex will usually have a really nice well-machined and pretty durable movement for the most part, right? Okay. And like some of the the coolest tool watches in the world are Rolexes. Okay. But 
like they also make gold watches that are almost purely jewelry, right? Like, right. So that's a, a factor to consider. This makes a lot of sense, especially with given how like precise things have to be for it to like tell time as you described it. <laughs> well, so and on the, the quality of movements thing, there are all of these like certifications, okay, that like exist. So, you know, there's COSC and there's master chronometer and there's all kinds of stuff where basically they will send watches off to be tested. And if they do not keep time within a certain standard, they are not certified at that level. Like oh, wow. it is it is not just that they can say that their watch keeps better time, but it has to be proven to keep better time. I see. Is like how accurate is the most accurate watch? Is it like down to like a hundredth of a second or like um, so the most accurate commercially available wristwatch is a quartz watch created by the citizen group that keeps time, I believe, accurate to plus or minus one second per year. Whoa, a year? Yeah. <laughs> That's Whereas, crazy. A like, year. Most of your mechanical watches are keeping plus or minus 30 seconds a day. I mean, 525,600 minutes. I can't even imagine the number of seconds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's crazy. How do, you, how do you count the time in a year or whatever the line is? <laughs> I'm not your musical guy, okay? Uh, that's, that's the most you're going to get out of me. In, How do you measure? Measure a year. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy, though. Okay, sorry. I, I derailed you. So movement, we have the, the materials, the movement, and this is like the five C's of diamonds, the three yeah. M's of watches. Is that what it yeah. is? Well, okay. and then just like finishing. And the other thing that you pay for legitimately is, in some sense, prestige, right? Like, okay. There are people who uh, are, they're called micro brands in the industry and they are independent watch brands that are giving you in some cases the same movements and the same quality of finishing and materials, but because they are not a brand name, they are not able to charge the same amount for the same service basically. Okay. Which gets into sort of the, the depths of the real mud of, watches as luxury objects and and projections of persona right so right i think that's a good bridge we can talk about that so this and if there are like watch enthusiasts who are listening which you know i'm i'm glad they made it this far i guess but um <laughs> an element of watch collecting and wearing watches is always going to be cosplay past yeah. a certain level of just wearing a watch to to know the time like how important is it to you actually that you are wearing, you know, the most accurate commercially available wristwatch? Right. Probably not that important. Like how much does the the variance of, of the time between 10 seconds to one second lost a day really matter to you? Right. Right. Do you even notice? Right. Yeah. And some people, some people, they are like, that really rings their bell. Okay. And like yeah. the accuracy of their watches really matters to them. And that's what makes them happy. But like. And we know, don't hobby shame. No, 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 no. Absolutely. I think that's a, a pretty strong policy of the basically an expert uh, uh, yeah. team that the ethos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that ultimately you're allowed to let your free flag fly here. Okay. Absolutely. And like that's far be it for me to make people feel weird for liking something for a weird reason. Okay. Right. But people wear, for instance, one of the most coveted watches in the known world is a 
uh, specific model of the Rolex Daytona, which is a chronograph created by Rolex. It is called the Paul Newman Daytona, okay? okay. And it is even above and beyond all of the other Rolex Daytonas, which is an expensive kind of watch to try and buy anyway. Yeah. It is even more expensive because, in part, Paul Newman was an enthusiast for them. And Paul Newman was a cool old white dude, okay? Okay. <laughs> and people identify him very specifically with like a kind of effortless cool that everybody wants to emulate right and it does look effortless i'm looking at it right now yeah i mean it looks it looks very stylish but very like classic it looks like yes. a cool guy well, and there's like i'm not saying that they shouldn't be expensive they're sick watches yeah yeah but a lot of the value in that watch was driven up by the fact that it has hype right yeah yeah so that's a, a factor in the price of a watch that we didn't really cover that like get, you can charge whatever you can get away with. Right. And yeah. like watch companies won't necessarily always do that. They, some of them, in fact, um, for a, a, a watch through the primary seller or an authorized dealer, they will charge much less than they could get away with because they don't want to charge an unconscionable price for their product. Oh, but we can nice. get into the the sort of uh, the way that watches are bought and the way that that's interesting later. For instance, I don't really like chronographs that much because a lot of chronograph styling comes from racing, right? So like the Rolex Daytona, the right. um, Tag Heuer Carrera, like all of these companies have all of this racing heritage that they try right. and play up in the watches and be like, wear the same watch as Mario Andretti, right? Like yeah. uh, uh, that as an idea is really dominant. And like, uh, to, for an example, like we we've talked about the Rolex or the uh, Omega Speedmaster Professional a lot. A lot of people buy that watch specifically because it was the first watch put on the moon, right? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I did, that that watch will stick with me yeah. <laughs> because well, it like, was the first on the moon. <laughs> for, for, at the cool. point that we're all cosplaying, why yeah, yeah, would you yeah. not want to cosplay as an Apollo astronaut? Right. 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 So it's pretty sick. Yeah. Well, and I think um, Rolex does this well, just in general. I feel like they're, I mean, the moon one was an Omega, I think you said, but even still the, like the Rolex Daytona, I feel like Rolex really capitalizes on this like hype train. Yes, absolutely. I mean, all of watch marketing really is um, based in some kind of nostalgia beyond just pure tool watch aesthetics, right? Yeah. Like if you, most most every watch company is appealing to some kind of idea about what the watch says about you, just like, you know, people do with shoes, but yeah. they are usually using stories about those watches. You know, for instance, the Rolex Explorer is really closely associated with summiting Everest because that was one of the things that oh, people did in the Rolex Explorer, right? Wow, that's interesting. Okay, but they're so good at marketing. And I mean- Rolex is a really- complex text in that yeah. way because on the one hand they make some of the finest watches in the world on the other they are also considered these incredibly hyped luxury objects like right. the prices have come down on this a little bit but the overall sort of hype around certain watches in the market and this was driven up especially by like crypto bros who wanted a, an all quote-unquote alternative place for their assets which um you know gag me but um <laughs> I can... love that there's a crypto episode coming out right after this. 
okay well you can you can let the crypto good. person know that uh i don't necessarily <laughs> agree with the way that their brethren buy watches okay i'll let them know <laughs> um but specifically three watches are, are sort of encapsulate the idea of a hype watch which is a watch that is incredibly hard to get through normal means and usually you will have to buy at an exorbitant markup on the secondary market so before i talk about that i gotta talk about this um with most luxury watches you are working through an authorized dealer structure so if you're buying a rolex you go to a rolex authorized dealer for instance my uh nearest rolex ad is in the mall at green hills here in nashville okay and they are an ad for a couple of different watch brands they're an ad for cartier they are an AD for a couple of smaller watch brands. They're an AD for Seiko's sort of like souped up high horology older brother, um, Grand Seiko. Like they sell a couple of different kinds of watches, but they do a lot of their main business through being a Rolex authorized dealer. And okay. there was a time back when watches were considered more tools. Now, obviously they were still expensive. Like Rolexes were still expensive by that standard, but um you could go into any Rolex deer in the country and buy almost any watch you want. But then demand started to outstrip production. And if you are a luxury watch dealer, you don't want to ab absolutely meet demand for a couple of reasons. Number one, that scarcity is an important part of keeping the idea of luxury alive, luxury, right? Yep. Um, and then there also is a bunch of hemming and hawing about like at what level of quality they'll be able to produce to meet that demand, right? And okay. and the Swiss watchmaking is especially is like a very slow moving industry. They are not necessarily going to um, push the boat out with aggression. Okay, it feels a little bit like they're doing that to keep the luxury bit, but I mean, yes. I'm sure it's well, a, and, and it's a it really teeter totter. They're kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth, right? Yeah, because exactly. You know, Rolex is making the most money of any watch brand around, and you also can't buy a Rolex at a store. Okay, so like, right. there's something going on there. But so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now the system is that you have to have some kind of, you go to your authorized dealer, you tell them what kind of watch you want, you're put on a list, and it's largely up to the authorized dealer whether you get that watch or not, okay? I see. So for super high demand types of watches, so let's use the Rolex Daytona as an example here. Like your ability to buy a steel Daytona, like even the entry-level Daytona, yeah. is going to be limited if you even if you only have the amount of money that you're going to pay for the Daytona you're right. probably SOL because really? you have to pay money to the dealer and develop a relationship and buy other kinds of jewelry and jump through all of these hoops to get your hands on that watch well see i saw this in a youtube video i don't know if you watch love island but i follow this girl named Molly May who's on love island and she has this relationship with this store, like personal shopper at a at a, like a fancy store in England. I think it's Selfridges or something. I don't know if that's a designer place, but one of these designer places. And she always gets like bags and stuff that like aren't out yet, or there's like one left or there's in like the UK or there's like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I was always kind of like, why does she get offered this? Like surely like somebody else wants to buy it or like, you know what I mean? But I guess- because like they text and I was like who texts with like a I was thinking of like the people who walk around and say did you find everything okay but I guess this is not this is not them 
Yeah, well, and luxury goods, you know, can be a really relationship-based thing, you yeah, know, like I didn't know that. At a certain point, you've got levels of scarcity that require you to kind of work back channels, which is another way for these things to remain exclusively snooty, right? Yeah. But so I say all that to say this, uh if if I were to somehow come up with Rolex Daytona money tomorrow and walk in and ask for a Rolex Daytona, the right. odds that I would actually get a Rolex Daytona in a timely fashion or at all really low. Wow. So I would then be steered to the secondary market. Well, if you've got all of these people with excess money, like, I don't know, crypto bros who are looking to buy something that they feel like is a good quote unquote investment. And they know that the value of a Rolex Daytona keeps going up because more people keep wanting them and more people with money keep wanting them. Then like, I am going to not be able to get a, I'm going to have to pay in some cases, like, twice the face value of the watch for a new one and then obviously in the um collecting and uh vintage market the value of these things fluctuates based off of demand too but in sort of a different way i mean like certain watches get hot at certain times but right. like you know not every vintage watch is a highly desirable watch so then if you became like a millionaire overnight like if you won the lottery mm -hmm. you couldn't necessarily go get the watch that you want because I mean, the way that they're bought is typically relationship-based. Like you would have to, could you just go up and be like, look, I have so much money. Like this is the bank statement. I have so much money. <laughs> for, for those of you listening, uh, Vic is holding up her hand as though she is give, giving some sort of Boy Scout oath and saying, this is the bank statement. <laughs> I have so much money. Can you just let me buy this watch? Because I swear that I have so much money. I can come back. That like wouldn't work. You would have to um, so I think that um, what you still go in line, okay? Yeah. But the line is amorphous, okay? The line um, really can fluctuate based off of how much you put in that relationship. So um, there's a lot of jokes in online watch communities that dudes are like, you know, take my wife so I can get a Rolex, right? Like <laughs> oh, shit. Um, that kind of <laughs> oh, stuff. Oh my God. So this is very, um, uh, this reminds me of, Every time you said Casio, I was thinking of Shakira. Have you heard her song? <laughs> no, I have not. Have you really not? I really thought we would be in sync on this. Her Bizarrap well, uh, um, session. No, 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 no. I um, the, the last piece of Shakira news I saw was the very sensual and large statue that they put up in her hometown in Colombia. That was the Shakira news I was plugged into. I missed that one. So we, <laughs> we Between are on the different two channels. Of us, we have a full picture of who, where Shakira's at right now. <laughs> we know how Shakira's doing. Yeah. But there was a, she, so her boyfriend, or not boyfriend, her husband at the time oh, cheated yeah, on her. Yeah, so PK, PK set compared. Right, right, uh, right. That's like trading in a Rolex for a Casio. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, on her on her song, she says, "Who would yeah, who would trade a Rolex for a Casio or so or yeah, something like this." But she says it in Spanish, so I cannot quote directly. Right. Um, well, but... and I hope that our, our good listeners at home would know that you know, for a certain purpose, there are times where you would trade a Rolex for a Casio. Okay, if you've learned nothing, <laughs> if you've learned nothing from this episode, <laughs> learn learn that that sometimes you want to have the Casio. Okay. Yeah, uh, And that, I guess, sort of um, to transition out of talking about hype watches, that's sort of the joy for me, at least in part of the hobby, is that I have got sort of uh, watches for different purposes and different ways that I feel and different moods and that I associate with different moments in my life or um, that I associate with uh, uh, different achievements or what have you, right? So um, 
I have watches that were gifts. I have watches that I bought for myself. I have watches that uh, some that I, I haven't inherited yet, but that I will inherit. And like all of those things create a complex emotional interiority surrounding these inanimate objects. Right. And well, like that's pretty sick me, that like yeah. hype is like a it's like a a subcategory and like yeah the subcategory also changes because like the Daytona is sick right now but like I don't know if Gen Z even knows who Paul Newman is like maybe right. it'll be like way less popular to like the upcoming guys and that hype will just be like your internal hype because you mm. know that it was cool when you bought it kind of thing. Well, I'm, I'm a big believer that the real hype is the friends we made along the way. Right. Like that <laughs> um, ultimately like I try and have a really attuned internal compass of what I like. And like this, that's a way to kind of sound hipster, but like, I, I don't mean it that way. I mean that like, my, I try to be really attuned to my individual value function and buy yeah. or, you know, uh, you know, in, in when people buy me watches, I, I hope that they buy me something that I have a very specifically high value for beyond just the price point. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think it makes sense for this as something that's like, not just about, like you said, like explicit value as far as mm. like price tag because like you said it doesn't have to be like a high value collection it's like and I think if you didn't have this like very intuitive kind of understanding of your own value function then it would it would be really difficult to have it not be all about the the price tag right well and I think um to to phrase a question like uh if I did win the lottery, would my watch collection look the exact same? No, it wouldn't. Of course it wouldn't. Right. Like right, right, right. Um, anybody, anybody with a, with a hobby like this, like they're not going to answer that question truthfully. If they're like, no, I would have the exact same. Yeah. Yada, yeah, yeah. Yada. I mean, uh, unless they really do feel that way, in which case like good for them, but like, yeah. Different plane of existence I, over there. <laughs> I, I guess I, uh, and I hope that, that other people, um, feel this way too, that like the, value in the whole thing is in making myself happy. And if I'm not like, if I'm buying for anybody other than me, usually yeah. like I'm kind of being a lame and I don't want to do that. I agree. You, <laughs> that would be a lame. Well, and I feel like you just, the, the amount of time that you would feel happy about it would just go down. So, right. so quickly. Well, and then the other thing that is fun about this is like, you know, researching watches is by and large free, right? So like, there, when I say that it's an infinitely regressive world, I mean that like there are people that collect just variations in dials of one specific model of watch from like a 10 year time period. And that's like wow. all they do. And that makes them happy. That rings their bell. And like, that's not necessarily my, I, I get that, I guess, to an extent, that's not necessarily my philosophy, but you know. Yeah. I feel like we have different songs, um, yeah. <laughs> but I I can appreciate why you would think that's cool. Yeah, like, well, just like think... the minute differences and stuff like that. Like the same with like people who collect coins. It's mm -hmm. pretty similar. You have like a buffalo nickel. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, so a lot of the hype around watches comes from rappers. Do you have any any faves? Both in terms of the quality of watches he wears and the quality of his bars about them. Yeah. Um, Jay-Z's probably 
both both the goat in rap in general and and in this arena um he owns some stuff that would make you blush i mean like you know some some one of one pieces that um nobody else has like stuff that um people aren't even sure really exists which is like the kind of collecting i'm trying to do just like you know <laughs> if you understand what jay-z does with art that's also what he does with watches yeah i mean hove what are you gonna do H-O-V. yeah seriously <laughs> um i mean you know at, at a certain point uh when you're when you're you know you have all the best things in life you've got the um in, generational pop star wife and these beautiful children and uh you Billions. know every car like you know where, yeah. where else are you gonna spend your money um, so he has he has great watch bars. Um, I love Pusha T's watch bars because in some cases they're mean um, <laughs> to the watcher <laughs> to the watch company. So um, he uh, has a song where he talks about how um, the only time he's ever going to be close to Breitling is when he's in a Bentley because Bentleys have their clocks supplied by Breitling. He's like, that's the only time you're catching me. <laughs> wearing a wearing a brightling <laughs> which is funny. pretty sick that's also very niche like the people that understand that bar are really they're in it <laughs> yeah well and i think that that's the fun part about like you know once you get in on the in jokes like you yeah. get really moved by that kind of thing <laughs> um so uh i would say all three migos have really fun watch collections and usually are name checking like you know uh paddock or ap uh, ap on gay yeah uh, well and they always feature them in like their uh album covers and stuff yes they always have a nice big gold roly or something um offset in particular is a really big ap guy and has a bunch of like sick ap's what's an ap oh uh, uh autumn yeah 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 specifically the royal oak which is sort of their no it's not sort of it is their flagship model cool um, let's see who else has really good watch bars. Um, I feel like watches could be like a gateway into rap. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, you're, dude. You're like, you get really into watches, and then you're like, oh shit, what's his who Pusha T really knows what he's talking right, about? Right, exactly. <laughs> I'd say, it's very I'd say wholesome, we can, weirdly, because <laughs> there's. I think we also got three sort of different levels of you know, Jay-Z is one of the richest men on earth and therefore can collect right. anything he wants. Yeah. Pusha T is kind of trying to be like, yeah, I've got a lot of money, but I've got a lot of taste too. And like, right. obviously Jay-Z has taste too, but I, I guess it's like, there's levels to it. Right. And right. then um, the, the Migos come a little bit more from the um, iced out, uh, yeah. bust down world. Hell Although yeah. um, Jay-Z was really important in establishing AP's uh credibility worldwide it, like amongst like being cool basically because he was an ambassador for ap and actually had a couple of like limited editions with them oh interesting yeah that's cool wow i guess when you're that rich it's not hard to have taste huh because all of the the things that are the most expensive are like i mean you know on the one hand all the money in the world can't buy sense on the other hand like <laughs> you can pay somebody to have taste for you you know right no you're not wrong i forgot i keep forgetting about people who do things for you <laughs> when right. you get rich i just keep forgetting about those guys <laughs> uh, well maybe may, may we someday know what that's like right i'll let you i'll i'll let y'all know the the listeners i'll let y'all know when we get to that point so the the rolexes though that um the ones that are made of diamonds that like rappers sing about in videos mm. are those more so like those are clearly more leaning more towards like the jewelry side of the spectrum, mm. I would say, like pretty undeniably. 
like are the is the what is the inside call the momentum the movement the movement <laughs> is the movement less like good because is there like a checks and balances thing going on there just in some cases yes in some cases no i guess it, but like if you uh any watch that is coming with there's there's a distinction between rappers uh busting down which yeah. is, that's the widest i'm gonna sound the entire <laughs> busting, uh, down. busting down <laughs> but rappers busting down their watch with aftermarket diamonds <laughs> versus factory diamonds um most dress watches that come with factory diamonds there is no distinction in movement between the watch that um would not have diamonds and one that that does have diamonds if there are okay. multiple models that's fair that makes so, sense i mean <laughs> it would be pretty shitty if you like got a watch and it had a ton of diamonds and it actually told time worse i guess that yeah. like would be yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like that's not a great model for business i would assume um so we've sort of talked about uh gatekeeping and watch collecting as a hobby and and the way that people feel about it yeah. one of the more controversial subjects especially among the stodgier of watch collectors is the idea of putting aftermarket diamonds or making alterations to watches. They think that it's sacrilegious, right? And this is like, you think about this in a car collecting community, like people are like, some people really get off on um, having something that's all original. And some people are like, I want to have the most souped up version of it as possible. Right. Yeah. And like, really neither one of those is morally more correct than the other. Right. But in the watch collecting space, it's sort of complicated by the fact that the people who are buying expensive watches and putting aftermarket diamonds on them are largely people who don't look like the kind of people that are complaining about it. Right. So, um, you know, the idea that a watch is somehow lesser because, and in some cases it does actually like the, the addition of diamonds could, because of the machining that's required to put the diamonds on the watch, um, might actually decrease the value of the watch. But like, okay. if we're talking about watches as an individual value function anyway, like, right. who cares? You know, right. if I want to bedazzle my Birkin, what is it right. to you? Yeah, right. exactly. I get it. Are there like three watches that if you did have the money, you mm. would buy tomorrow? Okay. So this is and a question the connections, that, obviously. <laughs> right, right, of course. So uh, had I the means and um, the the funds on hand, my three-watch dream collection would be a Tudor Pelagos. Tudor is a brand that we have not talked about a lot, but or at all. But um, it is uh, a sort of little brother brand to Rolex. And the Pelagos is a fully titanium tool watch. I would want the blue version and that would be my like everyday wear like don't care what happens to it let it get dinged up it's sick it's durable like that's that's what i'm rocking so i'm looking at the watch right now i feel like it looks like a watch i wouldn't see this and go that is worth at least five thousand dollars rob that guy for sure yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but Um, i mean i respect it this is very mckay of you yeah I and love then, the practicality. So almost exactly in the same vein, but um, for different reasons, I would want a a Rolex Explorer 2 in okay. the, the polar dial, the white dial, um, in part because it has kind of a burnt orange 24-hour hand. And I, I love do that. like that. Yeah, <laughs> we love that. Um, Hook them. <laughs> but to me, that is the the Rolex, the, the more famous 
and in some minds more desirable uh, GMT watch from Rolex is the GMT Master 2, which don't get me wrong, you know, like I would want one of those for sure, but I think yeah. I'm just an Explorer 2 person. I like this Explorer 2. I like this one more than the Tudor. And then the <laughs> uh, and then the final watch would be my dress watch. Okay. Um, and I am of two minds about that. So if money's no object, why would I not get like a Patek Philippe perpetual calendar, right? Like basically go to the heights of um, just all these stankin' features like that you wouldn't believe. It's beautiful. And I would go, you know, if we're smoke them, if you got them, like I'm going with gold, right? Like why would yeah, I not? Right. But the well, other- it looks kind of like a Paul Newman with the little three uh, clock yes. thing situation. So that's though. that's the, the little mini clock situation. Oh, I see, I see. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So then uh, the other option for the dress watch is sort of the opposite of that, a gold um, tank Louis Cartier from Cartier, which is the opposite of that. Instead of having a bunch of hands, it's only got two. Right. And Very sleek. Yes. And like, you know. Uh, wouldn't it be nice that I had to make that decision in my life, right? right? But like, <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah. there's, a, there's a difference in expense between even like the nicest tank Louis Cartier and the, the you know, even entry-level um, gold complicated paddock. But like, you know, like I think that I feel both of those ways, you know, like yeah. having the super nerdy dress watch would be sick. And like, I would get a lot of joy out of wearing that. Yeah. Versus having the incredibly elegant one that sort of like is the essence of a dress watch. I would, I feel that way too, you know? I, I really respect knowing exactly what you told me about watches. Right. <laughs> within, within this silly little world that I've created for you over exactly. the last however long. In the last couple hours. This is very <laughs> much, <laughs> this is very much, I really respect these. I like, I really like, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of this Tank Louis Cartier and I think a lot of these that I'm looking at are also the female version. And I'm well, a fan. I think this yeah. would look well, very so cute on my wrist. Also the question of what, like at, with that watch, um, if you, like the size that I would be wearing is is unisex. Right, it's pretty and small. And there are some people that are like, I would never wear a watch that small. I think those people need to get over themselves. Right? I think like, they do too. Relax. Yeah. I think I say this on every episode. Everyone just needs to relax. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's fine. Like, it's not gonna lower your shrink your shrink your dink. Right. To wear a a little watch. I like these picks. And then if you had to like to start a collection today in the money bracket that we're in, right? What would you? What were the three that you would like start? Okay. With? Do they have names? Um, yes, they do. So okay. I'm going to, I'm going to keep this, let's say like south of like 500 ish bucks. Okay. Yeah. 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 Solid. I feel like that's okay for like a once a year purchase. Right. Right. Yeah. So my first choice is going to be the pure tool, which, uh, you could say, McKay, the whole time you've been talking, it's been pure tool and I would happen <laughs> to agree with you. Um, so it would be a G-Shock multiband in the square. So you've seen these watches, but the multiband component means that it can sync up to a the atomic clock in Fort Collins, Colorado okay. every night. And so it will be accurate to the second every single day. It is also a solar watch. Oh. So I will not have to worry about a 
um, any kind of uh, battery. So yeah. for 25 years, I will have a watch that as long as I sit it in the sunlight or in some kind of light source, I will have a, um, a an accurate to the second and fully charged watch. It's very Spy Kids looking, but it, like you said, as a tool, it's solid. And you can work out in that. You can, it's 200 meters water resistant. So you can get, you know, uh, you can take it to the depths of the ocean if you want. Like, yeah, that is, that is a perfect tool watch. I see. Okay. Um, then for, I'm going to do a, another GMT here. I am going to go with the Seiko 5 GMT, which came out, Ooh. I guess now in 2022. Um, it is, almost entirely based off of the styling of the uh rolex gmt master okay i like this one so <laughs> yeah. um so it has you could go swimming with this watch without fear it's 100 meters water resistant <laughs> oh i thought um, you said ghost women you said go swim <laughs> go swimming <laughs> i was I, like ooh, damn yeah. <laughs> Damn, not in line with what I thought you were gonna say. That's funny. No, all the all the talk about ghosting women's gonna be on the crypto podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dress watch. Right. Um, so I am going to the common so, man's dress watch. Right. Um, I I'm of a couple of minds about this. So I think instead of going with another Seiko. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with the Orient Bambino. Okay. Um, which Love is a very classically styled dress watch, mm. pretty affordable. And like, um, you can wear it in almost any setting. This looks like your grandpa's wristwatch in a good way. Yes. I feel like this is something you inherited. Yes. And that it's... is, that's like the, the watch that the internet talks about all the time is like, you should, really? if you're getting into watches, this is one of the ones you should look at. Yeah. Really? Orient makes a really good watch for the money. Wow. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. I like it. Oh, some of them have the, the little two watch situation. I mean, two clock situation as well. The chronograph complication. Some yes. would say. There you go. <laughs> I like this one. Does this come in women's? Um, they started making them in 36 millimeters, which is unisex. Okay, okay. I like it. Well, this is fun. Maybe I'll go buy a, buy a watch next year. Or this year. Well, Hell, it's January. Like, <laughs> yeah. Even, like, the, the thing that I want to make sure I impart more than anything yeah. is that, like, you know, even if you buy something that I think is kind of janky, like, you know, um, Michael Kors watches or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If you look down at your wrist and you're like, hell yeah, that's me. Like, yeah. what? Am, who am I to really tell you how to feel, you know? Well, and this is the thing with me is that I'm so fickle in my taste that like I did buy not a Michael Kors watch, but a ripoff Michael Kors watch. Hell yeah, <laughs> that was, brother. <laughs> that was very gaudy, very ugly. It was like rose gold and white. Uh, never wore it because I immediately realized like the first couple of days I was like, I'm not going to wear this. It's too beautiful. And then almost immediately after I was like, this is so embarrassing. I do not like this watch. But I like watches now. I have a much larger appreciation for them. I don't know that I'm going to become a watch collector, but I really like mm -hmm. that you're one so that I have somebody I can go to. Yeah, man. Uh, think of me as nothing but a, a store of all this arcane information that you might want to use at some point. <laughs> 
content that I think that people might enjoy to sort of get into this. Yeah. So um, the New York Times of watch collecting uh, is a, a website called Hodinkee. Mm -hmm. um, they have a bunch of like wonderfully researched writing about all things watches. But on YouTube, they do this series called Talking Watches. And I think one of the like best ways that you could conceivably get into this hobby or like come to care about it is basically just like, you know, watch somebody else talk about their watches. And like, if you see something that you think looks cool, you just are like, okay, I'm going to research that now. Right. Yeah. Or like, you know, that's sick. Or like, you know, they're the most famous talking watches of all time is John Mayer. John Mayer is a huge watch guy. Oh. Um, and like your mileage may vary on how much you actually want to like relate to John Mayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because you know, Lord knows he hasn't exactly treated everyone in his life with kindness and respect. Well, and also red flag for that is <laughs> that says so much about me that I'm like, I love people who love watches. And then John Mayer is somebody who loves watches. I feel like that's very on brand with my dating history. I just <laughs> don't know that. Right. Well, well, and like he, the way he approaches watches is pretty self-involved to begin with. And the way yeah. he talks about his watches, if if like it past a certain point, gets pretty ingratiating. Yeah, but he yeah, also yeah. has some sick watches, brother. <laughs> like some really, really <laughs> high heat and like, in some cases, he is like because he talked glowingly about certain watches has like moved the market and shit. Wow, that's nuts. Um, but just like you know, if you're looking for a, a you know way to uh, rip through some watch content that you might find visually stimulating and kind of interesting, like talking watches is the way I would go. That's so sick. Well, thanks for coming on, McKay. I'm excited to potentially talk about um, Sumo on the Patreon. Yeah, seriously, I'm psyched about that too. <laughs> A little follow-up episode. Um, speaking of, if you're listening, go follow us on the Patreon. <laughs> There's the link is in the episode notes. Hopefully, if you're watching on Spotify or iTunes or any of those popular places, um, listening rather. And I will see y'all in a couple weeks. Bye.